first of all, happy 2024, Journey Church family. So I hope everybody had a very happy holidays, a happy new year. Um, I'm glad to see everybody made it back safe and safe and sound. Um, so those of you that weren't with us, I guess last week, I had COVID for, for Christmas. So I, I tested positive on Christmas morning. So I got that little gift. So I am, I'm feeling much better, praise God. But I still have that, that fun little nagging dry cough. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that that doesn't rear its ugly head. I have my bottle of water here to get me out of a jam if I need to. But we'll see how it goes. Hopefully it won't be an issue for us. I also noticed, so obviously Cody is here this morning and I'm getting to preach. So even when he's not preaching, I noticed he's got his sport coat on this morning. So you may notice you'll never see me in a sport coat. I did wear this little number today because I figured you're probably sick of seeing me in flannel shirts. We laughed about, we had this picture, we were going through old pictures from the website, things like that, and we had this old picture of me and Ryan when we were getting, um, when we got ordained as elders, and I was wearing this flannel shirt, I think like I still have that flannel shirt, and wear that flannel shirt, and I was like eight years ago, I was like, yeah, that's, that's me, I wear flannel, I, that's who I am. So I tried, to, I tried to prep it up a little bit this morning with this little thing, I don't, I don't know, so. Um, but we are going to be back this morning in our series over the church. I am incredibly excited about this, uh, that I'm able to be here teaching about this this morning because the church is a topic that I'm very excited about just in general. It's something that I like to talk about, I like to, to teach on. It's something that's really important. It's something, obviously, as, a, as an elder here at The Journey that, that I think about, that Cody thinks about, that we think about together when we get together about how we can do church effectively and and, uh, and do things the way that God has called us to do them and, and for, for your good, for our good, for the good of our community. It's, it's just a topic that's always in our forefront. And, you know, when we talked about this series, and Cody's been talking about it, you know, the goal of this series, when, when Cody laid it out, uh, the goal of this series was really to help give us an appreciation for the things that we do here on a Sunday morning, right? So it, there's, there's all these different elements of our service, there's these things that we do, and, and, and why do we do them, right? Like, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we do it? Why is it important? That we do these things does it matter if we do them like like are they, are they interchangeable or or do we even need to have them as part of our service like these are things that we need to think about what's the point of what we're doing here on a sunday morning that's the that's the purpose of this series that's what we've been talking about and teaching about as we've gone through it and it is these are important questions for us not just as elders and leaders in this church but but for us as members of this church family why do we do the things that we do and if we just do them just because right like well we just why do we do these things well we just do it because right if because is not a valid answer if we just do it because then we're prone to take things for granted aren't we like they're prone to become mundane and routine and, and we're going to take them for granted and that's, that's always the case with things, isn't it, right? Like when something is new, uh, like I think of, of like, for example, when you start driving, right? That's something that's on my mind because it's something that I do a lot of. Um, but I have two teenage kids in my home. One is, is now 18, so we went through the process of her getting her driver's license and teaching her how to drive. And one is 15, so he's got his permit right now, and he's learning how to drive. And I think back to, like, when we learned how to drive, right? In the beginning, it was new. It was exciting. I remember going out driving with my with Kaylin, my daughter, and, and now with Cooper, and, and like, they're, they're very focused, right? They're, they're, like, very, very focused. I remember Kaylin, like, 
I was like, she would come to like intersections where you need to make a turn, and she would just sit there. It's like, babe, like you gotta go, like you, you, you gotta go. But she was like, so, she had to make sure it was perfectly clear, like there was no cars in anywhere around that you could even see, right? It had to be perfectly clear for her to feel confident that she could go. But it was exciting, and she paid a lot of attention to it. She was very focused on what she was doing, and now that she's been doing it for a few years, you know, she comes bebopping up the driveway with her music blaring real loud. She's buzzing around town, right? It's become second nature to her. So she, she's, not as, she's not as focused on these things that she used to be really, really focused on, and we tend to be like that. As someone who drives over 20,000 miles a year for my job, I know how easy it is to just kind of like you know, it's just driving. It's not exciting for me anymore. It's just something that I have to do. See, the more apt we are to go through the motions at times, uh, the, the more apt these things are to, to become mundane or ordinary or routine in our lives, and we become distracted. It's easy for this to happen when we talk about things like hobbies and activities and the routine things of life, but if we are honest about it and we think about it, sometimes um, we're prone to do this in our relationships as well, aren't we? Like, we're prone to just get comfortable and start to take things for granted. So if you ask any of the, the veteran married folks here in the room if they've ever been guilty of taking their wives or husbands for granted, I'm sure that they'd all nod and, and raise their hand, right? And um, kids, I know we've got a few kids in the room, right? So I'm sure at times um, I was a kid myself one day or back in the day, and, and we're prone to take our parents for granted. Gosh, even as we get older, sometimes we can be prone to take our parents and, and the people in our lives for granted. And sadly, if we're, if we're honest about it, right, that, that sometimes we can be prone to take God for granted as well, right? Because that's a relationship, a primary relationship in our lives, and we can be prone to take God for granted too. So if I asked the Christians in the room here to raise their hands, if they've ever been guilty of just kind of going through the motions in their Christian life, I'm sure that every single person here would raise their hand. We're all guilty of it. We've all done it. So how do we combat this? Like, how do we combat this urge within us this proclivity within us to, to want to do this, right? To want to take things for granted. Not even, I shouldn't even say want to, but just, it just it seems to be how we end up, we just seem to end up getting there, don't we? Right? So how do we, how do we fight this, this problem within us that tends to lead us there? How do we get there? That's what we've been thinking about and talking about, right? So we don't want to take these things for granted. I think one of the main ways that we do that, that we avoid that, is just by talking about it. Right? by shining a light on it, by drawing our attention to it. Right? So if I, if, I, if I notice, or if my wife and I notice that we're kind of we're in that place where we're just kind of taking each other for granted, right? and, we, and we call attention to it, right? then we're, like the radar's up. We're, we're on the lookout for it. We're trying to focus on not doing those types of things. And the same thing is what we're doing here in this sermon series. We're trying to draw our attention to it. We're trying to shine a light on it so that the radars go up so that we aren't guilty of taking these things for granted. So what it means to participate in, what is it that, that, what does it mean to participate in the life of the church? And most importantly, what is God's design for us as a church family? In other words, we do what we do because it's God's will for us as his people. So that's what we're talking about today. And to that end, today we're going to look at what is perhaps one of the most, um, the most prevalent areas, I think, of worship that we tend to take for granted. We're going to talk about singing. Singing, yep, that's what I said, singing. 
So when Cody shared with me that he was going to be going through this sermon series, I was very, very excited because, as I mentioned, the, the topic of the church is a topic I'm very passionate about and that I think about a lot and things like that. And so when he shared with me that he was going to be teaching through this series on the church, I so graciously offered to, to help teach in any way that he wanted me to. And Cody was so gracious to offer to allow me to participate as well. And, um, and so my mind was abuzz with like, what is he going to assign me? Like, which topic am I going to get? Is it going to be like church community, Christian community? Is it going to be that? Maybe I'll get the sacraments or ooh, 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 maybe I'll get doctrine because that's something I love to nerd out on. I was like, what is it going to be? And then, you know, the three dots are on my phone. I'm waiting to hear what it's going to be. And then it pops up and he says, how about you take the one on singing? And then, you know, cue the, cue the uh, famous game show music, right? The dun 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 you know. So I was like, man, okay, well, we'll see. So, so here's the deal, right? I'm going to be, be bluntly honest with you guys. I have not a bit of musical talent in, my, in, in me at all. I am not musically gifted. I have wanted to learn to play the guitar for like probably 30 years now. And uh, I do own a guitar. I have tried to learn and it's not something that I am immediately good at in the, the least. And so I just don't try because that tends to be my default. If I'm not good at something right away, I don't tend to stick with it. And so, um, and then, you know, when you think about uh, church music, right, it's not a topic that we often get super excited about. I mean, if we're honest here at The Journey, um, it's probably not something that we think about a whole lot. Uh, most of our congregation isn't even in the, the room uh, during the first two songs, right? So we, 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 that's the running joke here at The Journey is like, you start, you look around the room and we're getting ready to start more praying and stuff. Getting ready to start, we look around, we're like, wow, this is going to be really bad attendance. And then, you know, I sit up here in the front, so then I get up, when, when I get up to preach or when, you know, when you start to look around, you're like, where do all these people come from? Because everybody filters in. So we're not very good on the music front here sometimes. So we think about church music. It's not something we get real uh, excited about. If we think about it, we probably have one of two things come to mind, right? If you think about church music, you probably think about that stodgy, old, dusty organ music and, and old, dusty hymnals. If you've ever been in, a, in an old church that uses an organ and a hymnal, you know what I'm talking about. So that's one thing you think about, and you're like, oh, that's not overly exciting, right, for most people. Or you might think about CCM, right, contemporary Christian music. So you think about, like, the stuff that you hear on, on radio stations like K-Love, and, and honestly, I, I don't want to be hypercritical here, but if I'm honest about that, that's not very good either. So a lot of it is, like, it's like Christian pop, right? It's, it's kind of repetitive and overproduced, and you're like, oh. And then some of the lyrics, if you really listen to them, are like super watered down or sometimes they're just blatantly wrong and heretical, which is obviously not good. And I'm not trying to say like, sure, you could be listening to other things on the radio that are probably worse than that, but it's not always very good. So sometimes when I think about that, I'm like, eh, that's not very good either. And then when it comes to singing in the church, right, so if you're a teenager or if you're a manly dude, you're not allowed to do that, right? So, so if you are a teenager or if you're a, a man's man, uh, you don't sing. So mostly it's, it's, the, it's the, the artsy folks and the women, right, that, that do all the singing here, right? So, so if you're like me and, and probably a lot of people in churches, you don't think a whole lot about the, the music. You don't think a whole lot about why we sing on a Sunday morning. It's just something that happens. It's a part of our service. And, um, and we know it's, it's important, right, because we do it, but we don't really necessarily know why. 
It's the, the prototypical, kind of like we just do it because we do it type of thing. And so when I started to study this, honestly, I mean, that's kind of where I was at. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, how am I going to how am I going to craft a, a good and useful sermon about singing? Like, it's, it's just not a topic I know much about. And, and honestly, I'm very thankful that I ended up with this topic because um, I learned a lot through it, right? So just studying through it, I started to learn a lot of things. I started to study it and I started to see, like, I started to see the, the answers to questions like, why do we sing during our church service? And, and what are we accomplishing when we sing? Like, I started to to gain some insight and some answers to questions like these. And, and most importantly, like, how does our singing impact our inclination towards God? Does he want us to sing? Does it matter to him? Um, and if so, for what purpose? Why does he want us to sing? And, 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 and this question came to mind, right? Like, what would it look like if we engaged our hearts and minds in singing praises and worship to God? What would that actually look like? Like, what would that change in the life of our church if we really engaged our hearts and minds in singing and worshiping God? That's what I want us to study here together. So to understand why we sing, we need to first take a big step back. So I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, go ahead and turn over to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start there. We're going to, I want to look at a verse there together, and then ultimately we're going to get into the Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 149. But if you've got your, your, uh, your Bible with you, turn over to Colossians 3, because I want us to look at that together here for a few minutes. So to understand why we sing, we need to first, I think, take a big step back, and we need to look at uh, a very important aspect of who we are as human beings. And then we're going to see that here in Colossians. See, the thing that I think we're gonna, we need to understand about ourselves is that we were created to worship. Let's look at how Paul writes that in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Follow along with me here. He says, for by him, and he's talking about Jesus, he says, for by him all things were created. And if you have your, your highlighter or your pen or something, mark that all things, right? All things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So that pretty much covers all the bases, right? Things that are on earth and in the heavens and visible and invisible and, and all these, these things that, that we see and experience. All these things were created. So when he says all things, right, he means all things. He continues. Again, all things, right? All things were created through him. And then who knows it? What does it say there at the end? For him, right? Underline that, for him. So what Paul's teaching us here is that you and me were created for God's purposes, and that purpose, uh, that ultimate purpose for which we were created was to magnify and glorify God. That's why you exist. That's why I exist. I, I have just given you, I have unlocked for you the keys to the meaning of life, right? That you exist to worship and glorify God. There's no higher calling in your life than that. That is why you are here this morning. That is why you are here on this earth. That is why you live and breathe. The calling on our lives is to glorify and magnify God. And I don't think that's a huge leap for us to accept, is it, right? That we are made for worship. I don't think that's really hard for us to understand because if we take a step back and we look at our lives, we understand that we are worshipers. We worship all types of things. It's easy for us to see that we have this strong desire in our lives for worship. True, because we're sinners, we're often enticed to worship things that, that the wrong things, right? 
things that, that don't necessarily, not that aren't of God, that don't glorify God, but lack, or desi- lack of desire for worship is not a problem for us. As John Calvin famously puts it, our hearts are perpetual idol factories. We are good at worship. It is something that we are very, very good at. This desire exists in us because God put it there in us in accordance to his will for our lives, right? He created us to worship him. Sin happened. We became broken and fallen, and now our urges are to worship things other than God, but our desire for worship has never left us. And what we see here is that we flourish in the presence of God when we enter into his courts in praise and worship. Psalm 96, verses 12 through 15 says, The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. See, one of the ways that we refer to this church gathering, right, is corporate worship. Cody's been using that word, and he talked to us a while back in the beginning about where that word corporate comes from. When we think of corporate, we think of like, you know, Microsoft or Apple, right? We think of a big corporation, but that that word actually just means like collective, like we are collective together as a church family to worship. So it's collective worship. One of the primary purposes for gathering together as the church is to worship God as his people. It would be wrong for us to minimize worship only to singing, but likewise it would be wrong for us to exclude singing as a vital part of worship. It's important. In fact, scripture often links worship and singing together, particularly in the Psalms, which, as you know, if you've been here long enough, when we've studied through Psalms, we we talked about how Psalms are praise and worship songs that we find in the Bible. These are songs that, that have been used throughout the history of the church to worship and praise God. If I counted correctly, there's over 75 times that the psalmists reference singing as an act of worship to God. I'm going to give you a few of them here. Psalm 100, 1 through 2 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Psalm 95, 1 through 2 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 147, 1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Psalm 9-2 says, I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And Psalm 71-23 says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. I could keep going on and on and on just in the Psalms, because like I said, there's over 75 examples of, of just in the Psalms talking about singing. There's over 200 times in Scripture where we're instructed and, and, and encouraged to sing praises to God. Even in the New Testament, in verses like Colossians 3.16, where Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So he covers first the, the, the act of teaching, right? Preaching, teaching about God. But then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiveness in your hearts to God. So he links those two things together, right? We learn about God through the teaching and preaching and study of his word, but we also learn about God by singing praises to him. 
clearly music and singing is integral to our worship experience. There's no real dispute there. If you look in scripture, it's an easy, um, it's an easy end to come to. But why? Right? That's the question. Why does singing help us and play such an important role in our worship? Why is it important for us to sing specifically? And to seek an answer to that, I want us to look together at another psalm. So this is where we're going to dig in to Psalm 149. So if you want to turn back in your Bibles there to Psalm 149, it's the next to last of the psalms. So it's going to be about smack dab in the middle of your Bible. I think Psalm 149 paints for us a unique picture of, of worship and singing praises to God. And so that's why of all the choices I could have made, and there was, there was plenty, that's why I kind of ended up on this one. I could have probably gone a lot of other places to teach this, but this one seemed to be helpful to me, so that's why I decided to plant here. So we're going to read this one together. I'll read it for us in our entirety, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart into some pieces to help us better understand it. Psalm 149 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in, exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is the honor of all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. So the first thing that we see there, I think, in verse number one is that singing brings us together and unites us. Let me read it for you again. It says, praise the Lord Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. So singing brings us together and unites us. We just celebrated Christmas, and, and if Buddy the Elf has taught us anything in, in his vast, vast wisdom, he has taught us that singing loud for all to hear is the best way to spread Christmas cheer, right? That's, that's some deep wisdom that we learned from Buddy the Elf. And, I mean, I'm joking, but, but in all seriousness, right, like, if you've ever been in an environment with a lot of people singing, like, it's just infectious, right? It just brings people together. There's nothing quite like being at a baseball game, right, and you get to the seventh inning, the seventh inning stretch, and everybody with tens of thousands of people in attendance starts singing, take me out to the ball game, right? Like, that's just a really cool experience, or, I mean, I like music, I've been to lots of concerts, and uh, I'm sure if you've ever been to a concert, right, at some point, right, you get to that part in the concert, where the, the band's playing like their most famous song and they get to like their most famous lyric and it is like stop playing and everybody sings that real famous lyric and then they bust back into the song again. Like it's just really, really cool. It's just something that it's just like it just gives you kind of like the, the goosies, right? You're just like, man, that was just really, really, really cool. There's just something about singing that brings people together in a unique way. A couple years ago, we went on a cruise, and when you're on a cruise, there's like all types of different things to do. And one of the things we did was we went to like a karaoke thing, and and uh, and not, I did not sing, nor I don't think anybody in our party sang. But we were there. But but you know, it, it never fails if you're at karaoke and somebody picks like that banger, right? Like so for for the people on the cruise, it was uh, Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. So somebody picked, I want it that way. And like everybody was singing, I want it that way. Because I, when I was in high school, I freaking hated that song. Because I, I was like, this is terrible. But now I'm like, man, if that song comes on, like I know that song. I can sing along, right? So 
Like, it just, it just happens. Like, whether you want it to or not, it just happens. When singing breaks out, like, you're just gonna, you're just, it's just gonna, it's infectious. It's gonna suck you in. It's just one of those ways that, that it, it just brings us together. I think God has commanded us to sing and use songs in the worship because it draws us together. It unites us to be able to worship him together. It, it's just something that, that binds us together. It stirs us up to worship. In verses 2 through 3, we see that singing allows us to praise God for who he is and what he has done. Let me read those for us again. It says, let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. So singing allows us to praise God for who he is and what he has done. I think one of the best ways for us to hide God's word in our heart is to set it to melody, right? Like there's a reason with little kids that we teach them with songs, right? If you're going to teach a kid the ABCs, you don't just say, okay, this is A, this is B, this is C. But you teach them the ABC song, right? And as they learn the ABC song, they learn the alphabet. Singing is, is just a way, when we set something to, to music, it just helps us remember it, right? We remember that melody, and it's, it's, it's a, besides just being a memorization tool, though, there, there's just something that happens in that, right? And so you may or may not have noticed that a lot of the songs that we sing here, so we just, right before I preached, we sang a song that's literally called Psalm 23, all right? And that song, we're, we're singing the words of Psalm 23. Now, if I asked you, maybe you do, because I taught through, Joe and I taught through Psalm 23, so you better remember it, but you might not. But if I, so if I asked you, I said, hey, recite Psalm 23 for me. It's a pretty famous psalm. You might be able to do it. But if I start humming that song, right, if I start humming that song or when Joseph starts playing those chords, right, we know that song. Like if I didn't have, if I messed up the lyrics, like I did the, the, the dates on the slides this morning, if I messed up the lyrics and we didn't have it up there, I bet you we sing that song enough that we could sing along without the lyrics, right, because it helps us remember. So one of the ways that we could hide God's word in our heart is, is just by, by singing it, right, singing these psalms of praise and worship. It's more than just a helpful memorization tool, though. Like the Psalms, also, um, these, th these songs, like the catechism questions that we recite, they take these big chunks of, of doctrine and theology, and they boil them down into a memorable and, and catchy way to remember all of these truths. One of the, the reasons that it's so often useful to teach out of the Psalms is because the Psalms collect all of the teaching from the, all over scripture and they boil it down into these small bite-sized chunks that are so easy to teach and easy to remember and easy to talk through and walk through. They paint these poetic, beautiful pictures of who God is, what he has done, what he is doing. And it, it just, it just, it's easy for those things to sink into our minds, for us to get visual pictures of, of who God is and, and to remember those things and to sing those praises. In verse 4, we see that our worship and our singing, when done rightly, is a pleasing aroma to God. The psalmist writes, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. We already established this, but we are created to worship, right? We are created to worship, and God is pleased with our worship of him. It is pleasing to God. It is a pleasant aroma to him when we worship him, and when we worship him, most importantly, when we worship him rightly. See, entering into a posture of worship before God is mutually beneficial, beneficial for both the worshiper, us, and for the object of our praise in God, right? 
It's a mutually beneficial relationship there. We both benefit from that. And it's not like God necessarily, don't get me wrong, like it's not like he needs our praise and worship, right? It's not like God has this big empty void inside of him. And, and on Sunday mornings when we sing praises to him, it fills him up and fills that empty void in him. That's not what I'm trying to say. God doesn't need our praise and worship. He doesn't depend on it. His glory is still magnificent whether we acknowledge it or not. But there is just something about it that, that magnifies his glory, right? That's why we were created, right? If he didn't, if he, if he, if he didn't want us to magnify his glory and, 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 and praise him and worship him, there would be no reason for us to, to exist. We've talked about this before, but again, like you, we don't, you don't fill some, some big empty void in God's life. It's not like he was just like, man, I just really need something in my life. And, and this thought came into his mind. He's like, you know what would fill that, that void? What would check that box for me? Chris Morris. That's who I need, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Chris Morris here, and then all of a sudden my life will be complete, right? Like, no, of course. Like, we laugh about it, but that, that's ridiculous. It would be ridiculous for us to think that. But we magnify and glorify God, and he pours out his blessings upon us when we praise and worship him. And the way that we do that, or one of the ways that we do that, is by singing his praises. Verse 5 teach us that, teaches us that worship through song ushers us into the peace of God. He says, let the godly exult in glory, let them sing for joy on their beds. Notice the location of where they're singing, right, on their beds. Beds is, is, paints a picture for us of, of relaxation, of peace, of rest, right? Like they're singing on their beds. Singing often stirs up our emotions if we're honest about it, right? I mean, one easy way for our emotions to get stirred is through singing. One of the resources that I studied in preparing for the sermon was written by a pastor who was, was reflecting on his experience in worship. Like, as a pastor, looking out over his congregation and, ex and, 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 and seeing them worship, like, it, it painted this picture for him. And I thought it was really, really good, so I'm going to actually just read it for you in its entirety. I don't often like to just sit up here and read to you, but I thought this was good, and I wanted to share it with you. It's not too terribly long, so I'm going to share this with you. He says... This is writing about his experience and his vantage point in watching the worship of his church family. He says, some eyes are closed and some are open. Some hands are raised and some are not. But the posture of their bodies is not the point. We're singing the 16th century words of a mighty fortress. And I notice a woman who was recently assaulted now sing with all her might of a bulwark never failing. We're singing the 18th century words of come thou fount of every blessing. And I'm heartened by the older saint who has persevered in the faith for decades, still singing, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We're singing the 19th century words of it is well, and I look out and see the middle-aged brother struggling with discouragement over his fight against sinful anger, now raising his voice to shout, my sin, O oh, the bliss, of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. We're singing the 21st century words, <clears throat> excuse me, of in Christ alone, and I see the talented young mother who is tempted to regret what she's given up to have children now exalt in her ambition. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. As I sit, Look out and behold, my own praises to God are strengthened by the stories and songs of others. My faith is invigorated and enlarged by his work in them. 
So it's easy for us to see. This is just, a, I thought that was a beautiful example of how praise and worship just stirs up our emotions. If we are willing to really give ourselves into it, if we're really willing to, to, to stop and pause and think about the experience, to focus on the experience, to praise God and to worship him, right? It, it stirs our emotions and our feelings towards him. In John 4, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's just John 4, 23 through 24. So what does it mean for us to worship in spirit and truth? Why does Jesus say it that way? The Greek word in John's gospel for spirit is a, a word pneuma. And if you remember back to when we taught through the foundation series, which I would be very proud of you if you did, but you would remember that pneumatology is one of the branches of theology that focuses specifically on the study of the Holy Spirit. And that base word there is pneuma, which means spirit. That's the root word. So when it, but in reference to human beings, so it, it means, of course, spirit, like as in the Holy Spirit, but in reference to human beings, it's talking about that inner being, right? Our soul, that, that our inner self, who you are on the inside, right? Who we are, right? Our bodies are, are just a shell, but who we are really resides inside us. It's our, our soul or our spirit. That's what pneuma refers to. So Jesus' teaching, teaching here echoes the central verses, verses of that foundational Jew, Jewish prayer, the Shema that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, right? So we're designed to worship God and we're designed to engage in worship with every aspect of our being. It's supposed to engage our minds. It's supposed to engage our emotions, our spirit. Everything about us is, is designed to worship God. And, and, and we're supposed to use and engage all of those things when we worship him. Our worship is to consist of our entire being, word, thought, emotions, and deed, heart, and soul, body, and mind. Right? Every aspect of, our, of us is to be a part of worship. One way that we can engage those various aspects of our being at, at the same time to, to, to stir them up, I think, and to incite them is through song, right? It, it, it just, it's just it, it talks to our heart in a way that few things can. I'd encourage you sometime during the worship service, like when we, when we start singing, like just like close your eyes, right? Just di disconnect from the slides, disconnect from the distractions. Just close your eyes. Just listen to the voices of God's people singing. Don't all do it at the same time or else you won't hear anybody singing. But close your eyes, turn off, your, you know, turn off the distractions. Don't worry so much about the words. Just focus on what, what we're singing. Focus on the voices of God's people singing. It paints a really beautiful picture on it for us, doesn't it? Allow your hearts and your emotions to just get wrapped up in that. And I'm not just saying, like, like worship is more than just this, like, emotional experience because it's very easy for people to, to just stir up our emotions. And I think there's a lot of churches that, that, that like, really lean into that, right? They use that. Like, it's just to, just to stir up an emotional experience. Like, church isn't all about just having this really wild and crazy emotional experience and getting all worked up and stirred up. But it is a part of it, right? We're not supposed to come here with our, our, our hearts and minds shut off and disconnected 
like robots, right? We're not supposed to just be dead in our seats here on a Sunday morning or in the pews of churches around the, around the world, but we're, God desires for us to, to engage with him in worship. Not so you can have this crazy emotional experience, though, but so you can to enter into God's courts, right? So you can enter into his courts with praise and worship. And it reminds us of the pictures that we see in Scripture of heaven, right? Where, where when you enter into the courts of God, there's, there's choirs of angels singing holy, 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 unending praise and worship in the presence of God. It paints, a, it's a small little taste, a little morsel of what heaven will be like, what eternity will be like with God when we join together and raise our voices together to sing his praise and his worship. Verses 6 through 9 teaches us that singing allows us to celebrate God's victory and dominion over sin, evil, and death. He says, let the, praise, let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written, this is honor for all his godly ones, praise to the Lord. See, all of the songs, of all the songs we sing, I think perhaps the, the greatest ones, right, the, the, the most fruitful ones for us are those ones that focus on Christ's victory over sin and death. That is the gospel, right? That's what the good news of the gospel is. It's the good news for us as sinners is that Jesus has come, that he has um, had victory over sin and death on our behalf. So when we sing, of all the different things we can sing about, I think perhaps that's, that's maybe perhaps in some way, if, if that's maybe like 1A, right? If everything else is, is 1, maybe that's 1A, right? It's just a little bit more important for some reason for us to be reminded of the gospel. I mean, that's part of the heartbeat of everything we do here. We talk about that all the time. Like we want everything that we do here to help focus us on the gospel. We do that intentionally because, to be honest, we're prone to forget it. Right? Like we're prone to forget about the gospel. We're prone to forget about the good things that God has done for us. We're prone to forget that like we're no longer slaves to sin and death and all of those things that drag us down and steal our joy and prevent us from flourishing. Like those things have been overcome and defeated by Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that all the time. Like you never, you're not going to young Christians, old Christians, like you're not, if you're waiting for to get to that point where you're like, oh, someday I'm going to get to that point where like, I don't forget these things. Like you're not ever going to get there. Like you don't ever outgrow the need to be reminded of the truths of the gospel. It's the heartbeat of everything that we do as a church family. And it should be the heartbeat of everything that every Christian does all the time, because we are just so prone to forget. You'll hear us talk about how we want our preaching and teaching to point people to Jesus and his gospel, but the same is true of our singing. Joseph and, and Cody and I, and, and you know, we spend a lot of time, when Joseph wants to introduce a new song into the, the, the worship, he sends it to Cody and I to like kind of review it as well to make sure that what we're singing is true about God, that what we're singing is, is pointing us towards the right things and reminding us of the right things. It's the reason that we take communion each and every week. Like some people will, will criticize the fact that we take communion every week because they'll say, well, doesn't it just become mundane and ordinary and robotic? And a lot of churches don't do that. They save communion for special occasions. But 
you know, that's been the heartbeat of the journey since Cody planted this church, and it's still something that's important to us. We take communion each and every week, and we talk about it each and every week, about how it reminds us of the gospel, how it tunes our hearts and our minds to refocus on what is primary in our lives, and that is the gospel. And so we do that each and every week, and we preach that and teach that, and we encourage people, like, don't let this become ordinary. Don't let it become mundane because it's important for us to be reoriented and reminded about the gospel. We also go to great strides to make sure that, that, that our songs are pointing us to gospel truth. And that leads me to one last detail that I believe I need to cover. So we, we've completed Psalm 149, but there is one more thing that I think if I, if I ignored it in, in talking about it in this topic, I would be doing a disservice to the topic and to you. And so that one last thing that I want to touch on real briefly before I pray for us and close out our time together is I want to talk specifically about how we worship. Like this is a really an important topic. I believe I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't touch on it. You see, there is what I believe to be um, perhaps like a fundamental misunderstanding among some within Christianity about how worship is supposed to be, right? They, they, they believe that when it comes to worship that like anything goes, Right? If, it, if it stirs up some emotions, if it, if it mentions God in some way, like it's good. Right? And I think that that's a fundamental misunderstanding in Christianity. Like just like not all teaching is good and not all resources about God are good and not all preaching is good. And not, you know, that there, can be, there can be bad elements, there can be erroneous elements. The same is true with how we worship God in our singing. It does, it's not like anything goes. That couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, we just looked at Jesus' teaching from John 4 concerning um, how we need to worship God in spirit and truth. That truth is important too. That's why I said it's not all about just having this emotional experience, but those emotions need to be stirred up and, and to point us towards something that is true. In other words, Worship that is all heart but absent of truth is not only displeasing to God, but I believe it's sinful. God has given us instructions in Scripture for how we are to worship Him. He cares about how He is worshipped. If you, if you want to see this play out, right, if you go back to, I've touched on this before, but back in Leviticus, it's talking about there's, there's these two guys that come before God, there's these two sons of one of the priests, and they come before God, and they bring worship to him, but they bring worship to him in a way that is not how God prescribed. Like, they didn't do what God commanded them to do. They bring their own version of worship to him, and what happens to them is quite astonishing. They are struck dead. They are killed, right? God doesn't play around when it comes to worship. It's important to him. And so these guys come to him, and they try to bring their own form of worship, and they are struck dead. We should take that, like, very, very seriously when we think about how we worship God. Are we worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Are we saying things about God? Are we singing things about God? Are we believing things about God that are true? If not, then our worship is displeasing to him. But there's a lot of content out there. We live in a world with, with no shortage of content. And it's easy to find all types of content. And that's been a little bit of my criticism about some of that contemporary Christian music today, right? That, it, that what is being sung about God is not true. There's, there's songs that, that are, are just, they're dangerous, right? They, they're teaching things about God that aren't true. There's songs that talk about God being reckless, 
right? His, his reckless love, right? Like trying to paint this picture of God as like he's just got this love that, that's so crazy, like he'll love anyone. That's true, but that's not reckless. That's intentional. Like God is not reckless. He is intentional. And when we sing and believe and think things about God that aren't true, we don't honor him with our hearts and our minds and our lives. The content of our worship must be true and in accordance with God's revelation from his word. It needs to be everything, just like when we encourage you when we preach a sermon and we talk about something, or when you engage with a resource and you see something and you're not sure, like take it back to scripture, go to scripture, look at it. Like, does this align with what God reveals about himself in scripture? And if it doesn't, like, let's have a conversation. Like, God forbid I ever say anything up here that's, that's untrue or incorrect about God. And if I do, by all means, please, please come to me and let me know. Educate me, edify me, <clears throat> excuse me, help me see the error in my ways. Like, let's open up our Bibles together and let's talk about it. And the same thing is true of our singing. Like, if, if we sing something up here, if you, if you listen to one of these songs and you're like, I, I think that's, that's dangerous, what we're singing, like, let us know. We have blind spots too. We're not, we're not immune to failure. So just like, just like everything we do, we want, uh, we want our praise and we worship, and most importantly, the, the words that we sing, we want them to glorify and magnify the true God, who he really is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you <clears throat> again for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you have given us instructions for how we are to worship you that you don't in everything in every aspect of our lives lord you don't just leave us to our own devices leave us like like sheep out in, in with no shepherd out in the wilderness stumbling and bumbling around like fools getting ourselves into trouble but you in your grace and your mercy have given us your word to instruct us to direct us to lead us in all areas of life thank you lord that you have created us for worship, that you have given our lives meaning and purpose in a world where we can sometimes feel like we struggle to understand what meaning and purpose is. We can rest in, in knowing that you have created us to worship and magnify and glorify you. Thank you for that reality. Help us to remember it. Help us to, to not forget. Help us not to forget the truths of your word, the realities of your gospel, that you have overcome sin and death for us, that you have have ushered us into to your court, that you have brought us into your courts, and may we enter with singing and praising. We just ask these things in your most beautiful name.